Chapter 12. Touched by an Angel I dragged my feet into Lugo, wanting this day to end. My period had started, sapping the precious reserves that I needed for walking. Being turned away at two consecutive churches did not help my irritability. I was so inward-looking that I brushed off a man who I thought was a curious onlooker, but who Alberto later explained may have been trying to help us, which only exacerbated my feelings of remorse. Across the street, a car screeched to a halt, and a young man excitedly bounded up to us, followed by a much calmer woman. I saw you walking and had to stop, he exclaimed. Where are you from? Where are you staying? Have you had dinner? We were just searching for a shelter that wouldn't... I began... No, 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 he interjected. You cannot do that. You must stay with me. Please, please, I insist. The man, named Giordano, was of average height with an athletic build and fair features. Unbridled enthusiasm flowed through him and infected me. His rapid-fire Italian and gesticulating body movements made me smile and reminded me of the Energizer Bunny. His friend Gabriella, a short, slim woman whose dark eyes seemed to melt with sweetness, chuckled at his antics. I couldn't help but relax, and we accepted their invitation. We squeezed into Giordano's small car for the high-speed drive to his apartment. The movie and football posters confirmed that we were in a bachelor's apartment. Giordano offered us his bedroom and large bed, which we hastily declined, clarifying that we were just friends and that the sofas were comfortable enough. He shrugged his shoulders and then proceeded to open his closet and offer us whatever he could see. T-shirts, socks, underwear, jackets. We accepted the towels. We came out of our showers to find a pasta dinner awaiting us. We contributed our bread and cheese, which added to the wine, made for a copious feast among our new friends. So why are you in Lugo? Giordano asked at one point. Didn't you see our signs? I responded. No, he replied. I just saw two backpackers. I backpacked all over the world, and I always appreciated it when someone invited me to their home or made the effort to help me. I had assumed that Giordano had stopped because he had seen the newspaper article about us. The fact that he had stopped to help two ordinary people made me appreciate him even more. The following morning, Giordano came out of his room announcing, Here, take my keys. I'm in Rome all day for a football game. With this most unexpected gift, Alberto and I were were in Lugo another day. I washed my clothes and cleaned out and repacked my backpack. Alberto and I briefly strolled around town, but most shops were closed for La Bifana, the Feast of the Epiphany, and the day that children received their Christmas gifts. We returned to the house, each lounging on a sofa, and wrote in our diaries. I had a dream about my father last night, Alberto said, looking at me. I asked him to tell me more. Well, it was more than a dream, really. It felt so real. I saw a big place with no boundaries or walls, only white light as far as the eye could see. There were many people there, all dressed in long white robes. I had a feeling that they were all wise people and were meeting to discuss some important projects concerning humanity. Then one of them turned around and looked at me, 
It was my father. He looked young and healthy. His face was radiant. He smiled at me with so much love. My heart swelled. He was proud of me, of this pilgrimage, at how I was handling people and situations along the way. It reinforced what I already believed to be my life purpose, to share what I have learned and to offer that gift to the world. I was touched at the way that Alberto's father was communicating with him, but still couldn't help but feel it presumptuous of Alberto to think of his life purpose in such a grand way. Working for peace was one thing, but to share what he had learned? Who was he? What made him think he was so special? He wasn't perfect. He had things to learn. He could be wrong. Whether he labeled himself a messenger or an angel, to me, it was all too dangerously close to arrogance. A knock on the door heralded the arrival of Gabriella, balancing three pizzas in hand. It was our first time alone with her, and I looked forward to knowing her. We learned she was a divorced single mother of two teenage children, and that she worked as an aide in a nursing home. She was intrigued by our journey and asked about every detail, every person, every lesson. I felt at ease with her and spoke openly about my life and experiences. I love what I do, she said at one point. I feel good helping my patients. I see that they appreciate it, and I suffer terribly when they pass on. I grieve their loss as my own, and I have a hard time emotionally letting them go. A few years ago, Alberto responded, my best friend Javi died in a construction accident. In one week, I went from laughing and joking with him to watching him lie in a coma, and then finally to dying. I didn't understand. He was so young. He did all the things he was supposed to do. He worked hard in a full-time job. He was saving up to buy an apartment and to get married. He didn't have impossible dreams. He didn't take huge risks. And yet there he was, dead, only 24. His death shook me to my foundations. I realized that I too could die at any moment, never having tried to live my dreams, and all because of fear and insecurity. I resolved then and there never to allow them to stop me and to follow my biggest dreams always. Gabriella and I leaned in, attentive to his words. I was learning a great deal about my walking partner that night. I have felt Javi's presence around me many times, Alberto continued. I also feel my father's presence. Since their passing, they have spoken with me through signs, coincidences, and especially in dreams. I know they're in a good place, just as I'm sure your patients are, and that they're smiling down on you right now. I've never thought of it that way, Gabriella said, wiping away her tears. Alberto had opened a door that Gabriella seemed keen to explore, and by the time she left that night, her mood was appreciatively brighter. So was mine. It had nothing to do with peace in Jerusalem, or so I believed then, but I felt good helping her and gratified to know that our words had brought peace to one person. The following day's walk into Giovica was uneventful, 
but the previous evening's conversation kept replaying itself in my mind. I could see what Alberto was saying about being messengers, but I still had so many questions about this peace I was walking for. I didn't have his certainty, and until I did, preferred to be a walking billboard and allow the message to reach whoever it needed without my personal involvement. On the other side of this busy road we were on, an older woman stood at the edge of her driveway, motioning for us to stop. We waited for a break and ran across the road. I've been waiting for you to pass by, she enthused. I drove by you many times this week and I hope to meet you. We introduced ourselves to this woman named Mercedes, who insisted that we eat something. With the afternoon still young, we accepted her offer and followed her inside her home. As I stepped into the room, I heard someone call out, Monica, Monica. I had become accustomed to being called that and so looked around, but didn't see anyone. I realized then that the television was on and that the program, touched by an angel, was playing. The moment I walked in, someone was calling out the name of the angel named Monica. An electric jolt ran through my body. Alberto couldn't contain his surprise. Holding my hand, Mercedes led me to the table and sat beside me, offering me cookies and juice while Alberto chatted with her grown children. My husband died a short while ago, she confided to me, her voice filled with pain. I can't believe he's gone, that I'm here all alone. I don't know how to move on. I don't know how to get the sadness out of my heart. The stress has been so bad that I have developed eczema on my hands. She held out her hands, encased with white gloves. People are afraid to touch me because they think I'm contagious, she said, her voice trembling, her eyes searching mine for understanding. I wear these gloves all the time so I won't scare them. As if to prove her point, or perhaps to share her pain, she took off her gloves and showed me her hands. They were dry and flaky and looked red and irritated in some parts. Having suffered with eczema myself, I understood her feelings of rejection and isolation. I never wanted to scare people either and so hid my hands like Mercedes. I gingerly held her hands in mine, caressing them, feeling the hardness of the skin beneath my fingertips. I smiled softly at her, happy to share the only gift I could offer her at that moment, my unconditional acceptance. Tears streamed down her face. I gave her hands a gentle squeeze and slowly released them. He's in a beautiful place now, your husband, surrounded by light, I'm sure, I said to her. I'm sure that he also prefers to see you happy and enjoying life and not grieving. A radiant smile illuminated Mercedes's face. Sitting close to me, she lovingly and tenderly caressed my hair, my face, my arms. I felt awkward, but didn't know how to stop her and didn't want to hurt her feelings or reject her in any way. And so I sat beside her and allowed her to draw whatever it was that she felt she needed from me. 
If you would like, we can bring a photo of your husband to Jerusalem with us, I offered. The family excitedly accepted, and after a lengthy search, they settled on one photo and wrote a note on the back. Alberto and I promised to find him a special place in Jerusalem. Mercedes would not allow us to leave without stuffing fruit into my backpack and bills into my hands. We finally left the vision of this lovely woman standing in her driveway, in her driveway waving, waiting for us to disappear, forever etched in my mind. Did you see what happened back there? Alberto exclaimed as soon as we were alone. I don't know what it was exactly, I replied evasively, but something did happen, yes. The way that Mercedes was looking at you and touching your face, she was, she was seeing you as an angel, like the angel Monica from the television program. It's no coincidence that as soon as we walked in, your name was being called out. I'm no angel, Alberto, I replied. You've been witness to my less than angelic behavior. I know, Alberto teased, but then more seriously said, Forget for a moment the idea that you have in your head about what an angel is. I'm not talking about flowing white robes and feathered wings. For me, an angel is someone who uses his life as an instrument of love and peace in the world. Alberto, an angel is perfect, I pronounced. Neither you nor I are perfect. We all have our weaknesses, Moni, Alberto countered, undeterred by my arguments. But that doesn't make you less of an angel. Your pure intention now is to be of service to mankind, to help others. That's what angels do. He firmly placed his hands on my shoulder and turned me to face him. You are an angel too. Believe me, he said gently. I think this is what the universe was trying to tell you today. It's not your perfection that makes you an angel, Moni. It's your intention. I walked away, not wanting to hear any more, feeling confused. Alberto was challenging me in ways I didn't like, asking me to see myself in ways I never would have dreamed. I couldn't deny that something important had happened that day, that the universe was trying to tell me something. But I wasn't prepared to embrace the vision that Alberto was suggesting. Being a peacemaker was something digestible, even attainable. I could even handle being a messenger. But Alberto's assertions seemed too impossible, no matter how beautifully he couched the words.